Hello, my name's Luke Mitchell. Welcome to Founder Chats with Be Purple, the University of Brighton's entrepreneurship support service. In this series, we interview business owners, many of them graduates of the university, most of them in the first five years of their ventures, to find out the secrets of their success so far. How did they get started? What challenges have they faced and how did they overcome them? And what advice and inspiration can they offer to others looking to go it alone? In episode number six, I meet with Kelly Angood. Kelly studied illustration at the University of Brighton, and it was while she was studying that she created Vidare, a flat pack pinhole camera inspired by the iconic Hasselblad and funded with a £23,000 Kickstarter campaign. Kelly went on to become something of a crowdfunding maestro, raising over £100,000 on her own projects and over $4 million working as a consultant and a campaign manager at Indiegogo. She now consults for US crowdfunding experts Van Alexandra. I met Kelly in the Japan-inspired Monocle Cafe in London's Marleybone. The audio is a little quiet at times, but hopefully you can hear us over the sound of customers and clinking crockery. The focus of this episode was obviously crowdfunding, but I did talk to Kelly about how her interesting career has developed so far. Okay, Kelly, um, why don't we talk about, so you're a graduate of the University of Brighton, yes. you did an illustration degree, why don't we talk about first about what led up to that, your sort of, you know, your college and school and, and how that relates to what you're doing or you have done since, like what were your interests, what were your, where were you thinking your career was going to go at that point if you even thought about it? Yeah, it's funny actually, I was having this conversation the other day with someone who said to me, what did you what did you want to be when you were older, when you were older, when you were a kid? And I was just like, I've never had an answer to that question, I feel like I still don't have an answer to that question now. Like, if people ask me, I'm nearly 30 years old, and they're like, oh, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I do all these different things, and, you know, that's how my career's gone. And when I did illustration, it was just purely because... I was like an arty person, like an arty child. Like I'd just sit in my room and like cut things up and like draw and I'd be like perfectly happy doing that. And then I did like an art foundation and again like was really into like drawing and like just nothing crazy exciting. You know, I grew up in Lincolnshire so it wasn't exactly the most... It wasn't exactly a metropolis in any any way. Um, And then... I yeah I, I guess I just settled on illustration because I guess I just heard the course was really good and it had like a really good reputation and I think at the time illustration was quite cool it was kind of just becoming you know there was a lot of editorial illustration being used around that sort of time you know in the sort of early 2000s so I think seeing that just made me think oh this is something that maybe you can make money from I think I saw that it had a commercial aspect as well as it being a way of using your art so that was always like a concern for me it's like I don't come from a particularly arty family so people um, I guess the thing was it's like oh you're going to you need to do an art degree like that's cool but like how are you going to earn money <laughs> so I think in a way I saw illustration as maybe a bridge between those two things not that I ended up doing it okay. <laughs> so, yeah I was going to say so when you're on the course what's sort of the, the journey through that and it, 
were you thinking at any point I might become an illustrator or what were you thinking you might do afterwards? Yeah, I think I, in the first couple of years, I spent a lot of time drawing stuff and I mean, the thing is when I, I don't know exactly what it's like now, but when I was on the illustration course, it's, um, it's very open and you could do like almost anything um, within the boundaries of the briefs and it was like always really great because you have sometimes like a very loose brief, like a phrase or a word or concept and then we could go and do whatever we wanted and we had to you know, conceptualise around that and that really taught me a lot of the skills that I still use today. And it's not a style that everyone works with particularly well, but I really enjoyed it, I like, love the freedom. Um, whereas, you know, some people maybe come to the course and they're like, oh, I want to be a specifically like a children's illustrator or whatever, and they probably would benefit from something that was a bit more tight. That would have just not been for me. Um, so yeah, I did used to sort of think, oh yeah, I could be an illustrator in some sense, but I think, yeah, the course just makes you think about other things as well, like people were making a lot of films, or like me, I ended up making lots of 3D things, you know, um, kind of, you know, I suppose if I look like now, you could almost consider them on the way to making like physical products. I was always like really into photography, did a few different projects like that. And that was all based around just ideas of my own and like final projects. So even though, yeah, it was an illustration degree, I think by the end of it, I just kind of started to think about other career paths and maybe like being a set designer or someone that like makes things, which I did do for a while. And I did do a bit of like drawing illustration after I finished uni, but it was like, A, simply not enough to like live on money-wise, and B, I wasn't ever like so passionate about it, what to do. It was, these days I have plenty of friends that are, you know, doing really well being commercial illustrators. I share a studio with like 11 illustrators and they're all incredible, but it was just never my thing, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was, it was a great experience though. Okay. And it, within Be Purple, we know you as we, we often refer to the um, Hasselblad uh, and later um, videos. What, uh, Vider. Vider. Yeah. Uh, your pop-up camera was that? That was whilst you were at university, wasn't it? That you yeah. That? Tell us a bit so, about that. Okay. So yeah, when one of my um, final major project whilst I was at university was um, I made cardboard Hasselblad, so a, a very expensive, well-known medium format camera that costs absolutely tons to buy, as far as I was concerned as a student, I probably could afford one now, <laughs> and if I'd have got two, but <laughs> um, what, they were actually both gifted to me, just by <laughs> um, but you know, they're not now. Not by, Hass not by Hasselblad. No, um, actually by some people that um, back to my Kickstarter campaign, which is amazing. But yeah, so I always wanted one, I couldn't afford one, so I decided to make one and I you know, set myself a brief where I was like, okay, so I really want this thing. Essentially, does it fulfill the need that I have in my life to own it by physically making it myself and then making it into a working object? So I was like, it has to work as a camera in some respects and it has to look like a Hasselblad to a certain extent obviously they're made of metal like I was not going to make a replica of it it's kind of you know not as interesting to me so I used like the resources that I had so it was like the, the cheap cardboard that they sold in the, the shop like screen printing I always loved doing and like using the photography lab which was on the same floor as our third year studio so everything was like really handy and like fitted into place and yeah, I ended up making it into a, a pinhole camera um, and it worked and it was great and to me it was like this fun project and I was like oh do you know what like this has been a really cool thing to do and maybe it does fulfill the one that I have somehow 
Um, and then as part of my degree show, it was on display, and when I was in the um, photography studio, they, when I was there, they had like access to like really good like lighting and stuff, so I'd like shoot it, and it looked like a, a product, basically. It looked like a, something you would buy. And that ended up like going on a few different blogs on the internet, and then people just assumed it was a product, even though it was just this like one-off student project. So it went around like several different blogs, like even Lomography like picked it up at one point, which is kind of crazy. Um, and people were emailing me saying, oh, is this a product? Like, can I buy it? And that kind of made me start to think that I could turn this thing into a product, but I didn't really have the know-how to do it. Um, I certainly didn't have any money. Kickstarter wasn't even a thing at that point. It was launched, I think, in like either 2009, 2010, um, and only in the US. So it didn't come to the UK until 2012 anyway. Um, so, you know, I worked around the sort of idea and made a downloadable version, which I just put out for free. And I was like, well, you can't have the actual thing, but maybe you're interested in the concept of pinhole photography anyway. So I've translated it into this A4 PDF. So I released that and lots of people downloaded it. And that was kind of when I realized that this project had gone from a just an individual student project and more in some kind of like community at the heart of it really because people were not only using this downloadable camera for themselves they were like translating it into different languages and using it in schools and using it as part of bigger projects really and I was like, oh actually maybe this is really interesting but despite that the reality is, whilst that was happening, I would like move back to Lincolnshire, didn't have a job, didn't really, you know, I wasn't doing anything particularly exciting and I started picking up a bit of like set design work, I was like working with a couple of fashion photographers, but you know, it, it wasn't, I was, what I was thinking about is like, how do I get to move to London and earn money and eventually I did move to London and I started working in a coffee shop, doing a bit of set design on the side. And then, like, didn't honestly think about the camera stuff at all. And I did that for maybe just over a year or so. And then I started working in advertising. I took an internship in an ad agency in town. And when I started working there, I didn't even go in there. It wasn't, it, they were a brand new startup. Um, it was just like me, the three founders, the creative team that had come from one of the founders' ex agency. And they basically got me in because they thought I could make their office look good and I convinced them that I could and I was like I was like right well I'll just come and work with you for a couple of months and I'll do the office up and then we'll just see where it goes and that's after that I sort of fell into sort of creative strategy and I kind of had a natural alignment to that because I was always really interested in you know what makes people tick and why people buy things and that kind of psychology behind selling things basically mm -hmm. um, so yeah it was, it was a bit of a, a strange journey um, and it, it was whilst I was working in advertising that Kickstarter launched in the UK and I started to think and a few people mentioned it to me they were like oh you should do a camera thing on Kickstarter and I was like no at that stage I had to google what Kickstarter was you know <laughs> so it was brand new um, and I was like, okay, this is a great idea. So I put it together whilst I was still working, didn't really know anything. 
it was at a stage where there wasn't even the kind of advice, like, you know, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, crowdfunding, it's become very saturated these days with A information and B projects. Whereas I remember Googling and just spending a lot of time online and not really finding that much. You know? I mean, like, okay, I think this is how you do it. But I was just using my skills that I'd learned in advertising of essentially like how to run a campaign. You know, that was, it felt quite natural to me in that sense. And I think that's where that success came from. Um, and yeah, luckily, well, the first project that I ran, I'd based it on the Hasselblad that I had actually done at university because, you know, I was kind of young, I didn't really necessarily think that there'd be any issues with it. And I saw it as like a, a fun project. Mm-hmm. I didn't even start thinking about that it had a commercial element until um, what happened next, which was, you know, so I, I had it on Kickstarter and it it's probably one of the scariest like weeks of my life if I reflect back because I'd put it on there, made this little video, gone through the whole process of doing it, got in touch with a few people that had written about the camera before, so it was a very like base level press strategy. In fact, if I'd even call it that, it's just, I was literally emailing people that didn't love me. It's like nothing. And um, yeah, it really went crazy, and you know, it was. I think it got to like 20 odd or 30 odd thousand pounds, which is ridiculous, like within the space of a week or two. What was your time? 15. Right. Yeah, which is what I'd sort of figured out that I needed in order to make it um, from a few conversations that I'd have. And, and those were like very like preliminary, preliminary discussions because I'd never manufactured anything. I don't know how this sort of thing worked. Like it was, you know, it was a real like baptism of fire. Um, but the. Yeah, unfortunately I had to cancel that campaign because I'd, um, Hasselblad had been in touch with me and basically um, told me not to do that, give me a season assist essentially. Um, and obviously I, I didn't feel like I was in a position to just be like, oh, not, not listen, you know. I was like, it's quite a scary thing anyway. It was scary the fact that people were donating this money and it was just felt crazy but yeah. that's another time when I realised like the power of the crowd coming to the project because I decided to sort of go back to the drawing board and like what happened then was something that made the product actually better in the end which is I'd be working so I was working in the day and advertising and then at night and at the weekend I'd um, come home and like design this new camera which turned out to be the Bidair and actually because I was like keeping in touch with those people that had backed the first project and that they had, you know, been very understanding about what had happened. They were still interested in the concept. They just liked what was going on generally. A lot of those people came back and backed <coughs> the video and I relaunched it like just a few weeks later. I think I think actually between cancelling the first campaign and yes. launching the second campaign, it was actually within a month. Yep. Okay. So it was quite intense. So you still had access to all the backers from so the first campaign? The way Kickstarter works is that they don't give you access to their emails, but you can use their like in-platform messaging service. So I would just do lots of updates. And pass people over to. Um, I was like, had a Tumblr at the time, so I was like, oh, you know, follow on there for updates. So I was trying to keep people involved as much as possible. And so when I launched my second campaign for Videre, um within the first day or two, I got to ten thousand, which you know was a really good way to kickstart the campaign. Basically, like I, these days, I always suggest that people you know, have their first 
20, 30, 40% in the band, you know, that they know people who are going to come and do that, people that are already excited about it. And, yeah. you know, I didn't know that kind of thing at the time, like, it wasn't a strategy that I had any idea about, but, you know, it really helped to get things going and secure press and that kind of thing later on. But during that first campaign, like, honestly, I really didn't know what I was doing. Right. <laughs> and it was just, it was just fortunate. And I think it was, I've been thinking about this quite recently as well, that I think it was quite an interesting time for that campaign particularly because you know it was analog it was do it yourself it had that hands-on element people were still you know very and i mean they still are interested in analog photography but the sort of rhetoric of the press at the time was that a lot of people were discussing like digital detoxes and spending time away from your phone like should you let your children have an ipad or a phone like should you sleep in in the same room as your phone like all of this kind of thing and that was like an actual large concern i remember reading an article that where um a, one of the journalists that i was speaking to had been away on like a digital detox camp for like over a week and it was you know whereas now things have completely changed people you know you use your phone for headspace you use your phone for meditation you use your phone to like track your activity, like things are different. Whereas well, at that point, a few years ago, we were actually we were quite fearful of this new technology. We've actually embraced it now, and I think just purely because of the way things were being talked about, and you know, this this essentially was a product that you could didn't have to be anywhere near your phone for. You could like make this camera go and like shoot photographs out in the wild that you develop it yourself if you want. Like you know, it is that real sense away from any screen time. Um, I think that really helped me push that first campaign. Okay. And what happened after that then? What were your sort of takeaways from that? And, and how did you feel? Did you feel inspired by crowdfunding and wanted to get some other projects going immediately? Or? I was like incredibly grateful, I think, because I didn't, I was like, okay, how did I feel? Grateful, tired, and scared. <laughs> <laughs> is the d delivery of crowdfunding, I know it's obviously dependent upon the actual specific item, but is that can that be a bit of a headache that people might not be prepared for? Massively, yeah. I think it's such a big issue. It's um, something that I didn't know anything about at all. Like, I'd never, I'd never really designed a product, let alone manufactured it or fulfilled it. And like, there were so many things that I wasn't prepared for. Like, I wasn't prepared that these things were going to have to go like all over the world. Yeah, I wasn't be prepared. Yeah, I wasn't prepared for even you know warehousing or like how things get made. Like, what's the process? Like, people would say, I can't, I can't seek anything for example, but people would just send me emails being like, oh, can you send me like something that's abbreviated? And I'd be like, what does this even mean? You know, <laughs> like one of those things, someone was saying, like, can you send me a bomb? And I was like, what's a bomb? And I said, like, Google it, it was like a bill of materials. And I was like, you know, no one teaches you things when you, you know, you've basically done a fairly open degree course. And maybe if I'd done product design, things would be different. But I just simply didn't. So it was, um, yeah, a lot, a lot to learn quickly. But, you know, reality is you can read as much as you want these days but you only really learn from doing and I knew that it was going to take me a long time to actually get going with this thing I was working full-time as well and I, I went down to part-time what actually did I do it during that campaign or was it a little later I think it might have been a little later so I was working basically full-time throughout this whole process okay still at the as a creative strategist yeah exactly um 
I'm not sure it's a very good one during that time. <laughs> but, you know, equally, I didn't like it. It wasn't enough money to leave my job either, you know, and I didn't know if it was going to be a business or if it was just a product or I was just getting on with it and trying my best and like taking my holiday and like trying to sort it out that way. But, yeah, I just made sure that I had a really long time in order to get everything done and so I finished the campaign in, uh, I think spring and I had said that I wouldn't possibly be delivering them until Christmas and that year so it gave me like a really long time in, in my mind. Some people don't achieve that and that's one of the things like, I'm really proud of the fact that I can say that every single campaign that I've ever run has been delivered on time or before. A lot of people don't meet those kind of targets. Some people suggest that it doesn't matter. I think it's just good to have a deadline, like full stop. Um, but yeah, it took me a long time. It was just learning through doing. But once you've been through that process once, once you feel like confident speaking to manufacturers, you're happy with your relationships, you, you know, those types of people I found actually made it feel easier. Things that I became very scared of. I remember when I first met my fulfillment people, so I was working with a warehouse in Peterborough, and they, I was like, I'm gonna have to make like thousands, I've made that, or I've, like they're in the process of being made, like thousands of these cameras. I need someone to like put them all together and send them out. And I was like, this is crazy. It's going to like 60 different countries all over the world. I, I didn't even know like the different types of posts like I, I literally knew nothing and I, I remember going for a meeting with them they just made it seem like that was the smallest job in the world and like that's just not a problem and like that feeling was such a sense of relief and I've done it lots of different ways I've done it myself actually most recently um, but it was just yeah it's hard to know what to do but I think with any like anything you do like with business or entrepreneurship like just have to do it and like believe that you can and that's the biggest key I think with manufacturers and with fulfillment <coughs> obviously there's googling to find out who those maybe is was there anything else that happened that be outside of googling mm. that connected you to these solutions not for me personally because the types of um, manufacturers that I were using was quite old school so it was really a case of trying to find people that did these things on the internet so it was someone that would still do screen printing for example which you know even a few years ago was still quite difficult and the people that I originally did the screen printing with like no longer even do it so you know things move on quite quickly and just being on the phone a lot and saying and a similar thing happened with my die cutter who I still use now because he's just perfectionist and he's brilliant and you know when you have those types of clothes you're like I never so never you know use you ever um, but yeah it was and I'd asked a lot of people I'd be like okay so I'm making this product do you think you could make it and, and to be honest lots of people said no they were like it's too detailed like you know we can't get that level of detail like we can't get that and I think I had quite high standards of what I wanted because you know, I wanted it to have the same quality and the same feel as when I'd made my first camera. So I wanted it to be like quite specific stock. I still use the same stock that I used from Brighton. I still use the same supplier. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So because I just have not found anything that I like as much. And um, you know, they're still screen printers. They're still die with the same guy. And you know, again, it's just finding that person that will say yes and do it for a good price. Because sometimes people say yes, but they don't really, you know, they're not necessarily that good. Or it's, 
I think you have to follow your gut instinct with suppliers. And like, not everyone's, you know, online, but most people are. And I think, especially when you're looking for something quite specific or it is a bit old school or, you know, it doesn't particularly have a digital element, like the die cutters is like a huge die cutting machine that looks Victorian, you know? Like, the screen printers, when they did it, it was like a big old warehouse in Leeds. And, those people, they have websites that look like they've been made like in 91, or, you know, but that, that's fine. And it's kind of getting over so that as well. So you end up well. getting on the phone to them? Or yeah, visiting? exactly. Or I, I definitely visited, um, but I usually just started with an email or call and then just went down when I when I knew what I wanted, I'd go down and meet them in person. Um, yeah, it's it's quite, I think it's quite easy to get swayed by services these days because it's so easy for anyone to have like a really swishy website and, you know, look amazing. But you just, yeah, you just have to meet people and see what their connection is in person. Mm -hmm. And obviously that they can know that they can do it then, mm -hmm. that it's a decent cost. But sorry, we're paying a little bit more for the quality that we want. So what was the next crowdfunding campaign that you did after that? So the next one was um, for my second camera, Vidi, which is about a year later. And I, it was quite good because I still had like the momentum from Videre. And like the original Videre, like, had its issues, like as I say, I'm not really a product designer. Um, so what I did was I worked with a group of backers from the first campaign who were like the ones that were really excited about it and would post about it a lot. And, and some of them were even people who would use the downloadable camera originally. And I sort of asked them like, how could I improve this? What would make it better? And I sort of used that as a bit of a brief. So I ended up making it so it accepted both medium format and 35mm film, that it was had like a glueless construction, that it was much quicker to make, came in different colours, it was easier for children, so it was more of an educational element. And I you know took all of that and made it into this next campaign, which was I think looking back like quite savvy because I was doing it because you know I really wanted to like give something back to this community that had helped me like launch this idea but you know it meant that it was an improved product and it kept that group of people committed and involved the whole way through um, and that was great and I ended up doing some like pre I had a bit of cash left over from my previous Kickstarter so it allowed me to make like a small run of the Vidi cameras um, you know, with the manufacturers that I built relationships with in the first cam um, campaign and send these cameras like off for testing and there's like a school in like Salem in Massachusetts that did it, like a woman in Australia who's amazing and you know a girl in San Francisco who has a coffee shop called um, Pinhole Coffee Shop and I've been there, it's, it's really cool. Um, yeah, so it was that was really nice and a great way to get, get people involved and ended up funding um, slightly more around about 40k, 38, 40k. So um, yeah, it was it was great and it was again I think people were still in the press, you know, talking about it. people were still interested in this like analogue notion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fast forwarding through some of your, I know you had other crowdfunding yeah. campaigns, but then you ended up getting recruited by Indiegogo. That's yeah. been interesting, sort of seeing inside one of the platforms. Yeah, I mean, you learn so much from running your own campaigns, like a massive amount. Um, and then what, what sort of happened was, after I'd ran my first couple of campaigns, I started doing a few more 
or a few like talks at like unis and schools and obviously at Brighton and a few different places and I was getting asked to do that kind of thing more and more like not all the time but you know enough where I, I kind of realized that actually I did like know quite a lot about this stuff and stuff that felt like very normal to me like oh, of course you do this and then you do that like you know um, I realized that not everyone knew that so I kind of got a bit more involved in the crowdfunding scene just through doing that kind of thing and then yeah then I started speaking to Indiegogo who were looking for someone in the UK and yeah, just started working with them. And when I was working with Indiegogo, I was looking after all of the um, UK and European tech, hardware, and like design campaigns. So anything from like a connected speaker to one of my favourite campaigns, which is called the Rockbox, which is a like gas and wood powered um, pizza oven. And I bought two because I was like so obsessed with it. I love them, amazing company. Um, yeah, so I was like looking after the campaigns using the knowledge that I'd you know built via Kickstarter but you know it's interesting it was interesting working for Indiegogo as well because they're they are quite different platforms you know Indiegogo is an open platform where you can both fund creative projects um, more like business propositions but also you know not for profits and this kind of thing so you can essentially fund whatever you want as long as it's not like selling babies or guns or you know they're, they're a bit more relaxed and they just believe that it shouldn't be up to them to curate what's going on. Whereas Kickstarter, you know, it has to be a creative project in some sense, and they do do a lot more curation. Um, one isn't any better than the other. I just think they both do different jobs for different people. Um, Indiegogo always has had more like tools for business. So like pixel tracking, if you want to do Facebook ads in the background, that kind of thing. Um, they actually take your money at the point of contribution and Kickstarter just take your details and do it at the end of the campaign. So there's a possibility you get like less dropped pledges, which can with Kickstarter and like, you know, but then Kickstarter as, you know, great creatively, um, it's obviously it's what I've decided to use for my campaigns. There's a reason for that. It's because they're highly creative campaigns that I know have like a really strong design element. Whereas, Indiegogo has a lot of very, very interesting and like brilliant tech campaigns. So, you know, they do different jobs and they're not the only platforms out there either. There's a lot of them. Um, they just, yeah. So I, I started working for them and working essentially with like first time crowdfunders um, that maybe, you know, they could just be someone that had an idea in their bedroom or they could be from a larger company that wanted to do a some testing for a new product but there wasn't any money so they were like oh let's try it out because that's one of the great things about crowdfunding actually it's a great market test you know you can figure out if there's actually demand for these products before you launch them like before crowdfunding existed one of the big barriers to entry for people was money right so if you didn't have any for yourself and you had no access to personal files, then what's the opportunity? Like, you have to go to VC, get that kind of investment, and that's quite hard to do when you're like, oh, I've got a cardboard camera, or, you know, or whatever your crazy project happens to be. And, you know, we've seen time and time again that projects that probably wouldn't have been traditionally VC funded or funded in any other way, actually, people have turned around and said, oh, I want that, like, cool cat ear headphones, or, you know, I want that cool box you know it's um it's quite amazing really 
So yeah, that, that's how I sort of fell into that. So with these first-time crowdfunders, what was the sort of what was the difference between success and failure that you saw? Um, uh, what would be your headline advice based on that? Yeah, I think there's a few things that I always think are really, really key. But I think the main thing is just really doing your research and. These days, it used to be the case where you could launch onto a crowdfunding platform and you could just get going and people would be on the platform looking for exciting projects, which they are to a certain extent. But like building up like a bit of a pre-launch strategy is one of the most important things you can do. Um, you know, getting emails, getting people excited about what you're doing, having a landing page, um, trying to like build some buzz around the press, just trying to sort of get a bit of like pre-activity before you launch, like let those people know that you're going to launch your campaign, get them excited about it, because you know, again, that goes back to what I was saying about having that 20, 30, 40% um, money essentially like in the bank, like you want those people to come to your campaign on the first day when it launches and be like, I need this thing right now and I want to get it at the early bird price. So I think just a lot of preparation in that sense. I mean, you know, if you don't have a community around something you're doing already, like definitely spend a bit of time doing that. It's so easy for people to get really carried away with what they're doing. You know, they're so passionate about their project or their product that they forget that they've got to actually find these people who are going to buy it. It's not just going to come out of thin air. It's not. It's not that easy, unfortunately. But you know, beyond that, it's about having a great, great campaign, and it's. As much as anything, like people buy into people as much as they do products. So it's about like having new personality and making sure that it's very clear, like what your campaign is about. Having some great perks, uh, lots of different levels. Um, having something, you know, people people put money into crafting campaigns because they want the exciting thing that they're going to get out of it. You know, sometimes that is like social currency and they can say, oh, I backed this amazing film and I'm a, I've got a producer credit, you know, that sometimes happens. But I think nine times out of ten, the reality is they just want this like brilliant new thing that's either amazing and never been done before or it's like so novel or, you know, that's really what they want. Is it important now to have a video and talk about conveying your personality? That seems sort of an easy way to do that. Yeah, <clears throat> I, videos are really, really vital. Like, they're still optional on, I think, all platforms really, but it's so easy to do a video these days. Like, you can do a really like lo-fi video and still get lots of backers because you know, people are just interested in the idea. And it's, that's how we accept content in our lives these days. We go on Instagram and we see videos, we go on Instagram stories, we get ads in video format. We're very used to digesting information like that. And I think if you can make a video, keep it within, below three minutes is perfect, but get all of your most important information in the, as early as you can. Because when you go back and look at Kickstarter data, actually, a lot of the time the video never even gets finished. So, a lot of them do, but like, most of the stats is like, oh, they've watched this video halfway through, you know. So having that information straight up is really important. And I personally have never been in any of my videos, but that's because I'm just like, it's not really my thing. <laughs> but it's not the advice I would give. I think if you can, like, do it. And I think 
I probably would do it more now, but I think when I first started doing it, I was like really shy to do it, um, and then it just became a habit. But yeah, bring your personality out in some way, keep all of the information as front heavy as you can, and then go into more detail in the actual um, copy of your campaign. It's just, I think just have some personality with it. Like no one wants to just watch a really like dry, boring video, like make it funny if you can, just get people excited about what you're doing. Any big mistakes that you you've seen? I think not. Like, I don't think any video is like really bad, but they can just be like really dry. Like if you're watching it and you're like, okay, guys, you've just spent like a couple of years of your life working on this project. Like, could you not be a tiny bit more excited about this? Or like, you know, what what's going on? Like, and if if that is the case, and you're not confident making a video yourself, like you know, ask someone to help you. Everyone like has a friend that probably. Even if it's just a friend that you think, oh, they're really like funny and great on Instagram stories. Like they've probably got a bit of an eye for it. So you know, why not ask them just to help you out and see what they think? And there's no there's no excuse these days for like making a bad video. You know, it's it's quite easily done. And, and also, there's lots of services out there if you have a bit of money to invest into your campaign that can help you make a video for not a completely bank-breaking amount of money. Mm-hmm. Just uh, moving away a little bit from crowdfunding and just talking more generally about your career, mm-hmm. what kind of opportunities have arisen out of projects that you've worked on? I've just been interested in how important it is sort of building relationships with people, becoming known for certain skills. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say like exactly that one thing has led to another directly. I kind of feel like everything that I've done is everything is because of the other thing and it is like a bit of a butterfly effect in, in that sense um, but I, I just think keeping as many like positive relationships with people is important so you know you never know when you're gonna need to use them or I mean I don't think any like particularly major opportunities that, you know other than you could say oh you know well, I got into crowdfunding started teaching about it and then I ended up working crowdfunding you know and it's like who knows what opportunities may or may not come next mm. it would be very hard for me to say one thing definitely led to another directly um, but I do uh, one thing that it has like given me is like the belief that like you can do anything or get any idea out there that you want and I love being able to like translate that to other people too so if someone has an idea I love helping them bring that to life too um, so yeah obviously things always bring opportunity if you if you're open to it mm-hmm. what about um, surviving in London as a creative person in a yeah. create, in creative work what's your observations of, of those that have succeeded in doing that mm, hard work yeah it's just hard work really it's not it's not really anything to do with luck it's to do with like how hard you work and it's not always easy it's um London's tough because obviously it is expensive and everyone comes from you know different positions in life anyway so but the people that I know that are most successful just genuinely work really hard <laughs> like much harder than me honestly <laughs> um, but the, yeah that really is it and that would be your number one tip then for just, somebody graduating just get prepared to work just, hard yeah just get going like I think if you think negatively about it and you start thinking like oh it's the classic question isn't it it's like oh is it hard work or is it luck and it's like maybe it is a mixture of both but one doesn't come without the other generally um, so yeah I, my 
Yeah, I just, I think when I graduated, I was like quite scared of a lot of things, like more so than I would be now. Or like, I was fearful of going for opportunities that I, even though when I think about maybe I don't feel like that, but I think there's certain things I was like, oh, I probably should have been more like outspoken about that or like done, you know, or like worked a little bit harder in this respect or not partied as much. <laughs> um, yeah, it's hard to say, but hard work seems to be the key to success as far as I can see if I'm being reflective. <laughs> Okay. Just what about so your your um, plans for the future now? What what do you hope to do? You've done lots and lots of projects, haven't you, in your career today? Yeah. Are you hoping to continue with that? What's exciting you? Um, I don't really know what's coming up next for me at the moment. It's um, it's hard to say. I don't. I, you know, as I said at the beginning, it's never been a case for me that I've necessarily known what I wanted to do and. I do have a very like portfolio career, so to say, which can be hard to convince people that I can do things. And it's like I know I can do this, but that's not enough, you know. It's like it's um, I'm really not 100% sure. Like I, I have a feeling that I'll probably start another business at some point, um, but I'm still sort of thinking about those kinds of ideas, but. Yeah, honestly, I'm just, I don't know. It might be working in crowdfunding more, hopefully, like, helping people, you know, realise their own campaigns or their own potential in some way. I think that that is what I'd sort of like to work in. Um, are, are there any trends within crowdfunding that we should be aware of that you've noticed, like, coming up? Uh, there's nothing Changes. that I've noticed in terms of like products or the types of campaigns that are coming out. I think that um, varies, and I think that's as much to do with like cultural shifts and what people are excited about anyway. But I think I think what is going to become interesting. One thing that I'm quite interested in at the moment is um, like Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, um, initial coin offerings, this kind of thing, which obviously is essentially like funding. You know, it's essentially crowdfunding these new currencies. So I think, you know, away from rewards-based crowdfunding, where my main um, experience is, I think it's going to be interesting to see how cryptocurrency and the blockchain potentially work with traditional crowdfunding models, and if they can somehow work together. And I'd just be interested to see how those two things can merge because you know it's all about sort of cash at the minute like fiat currencies but is there an opportunity for like Kickstarter or Indiegogo to start funding in a different social currency I think it's um yeah I think that's something that's worth having a think about um and just something I'm personally interested in but yeah I, d I don't know if there's any major trends other than the US starting to do um, equity-based crowdfunding, I think that'll become interesting too, when it gets going a little bit more. So that's all. Right, thanks very much for your time, Kelly. Is there no anything, problem. anything I should have asked you that I, we haven't covered? No, I don't think so. I think you've covered my whole life pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Kelly. Her website is popupinholecompany.com and she's at Kelly Angood on Instagram. To find out more about Be Purple and all the support that we can provide University of Brighton students and graduates, go to bepurple.co.uk where you can also sign up for our free email newsletter. If you'd like to say something about this podcast, do send me an email. The address is bepurple at brighton.ac.uk. Thanks very much for listening and I shall see you in a cafe soon for the next episode of Founder Chats. <laughs> <laughs>